right, welcome back. And we are on episode nine. Um, I am excited for today's episode because I get to lead it. I haven't led one in a while. Um, I'm also excited because it was kind of fun to do some research. (laughs) Um, But we are going to get started with a Florida man story. Are we ready, cousins? Absolutely. Let her rip. Let's do it. Okay, so there were a couple Florida man or woman stories that happened in the news today. Did you all hear about those? I did not. Okay, so I'm not going to talk too much about them, but I really need you both to go research the man who got his ass beat by Mike Tyson on the JetBlue airline. Oh, my God. Did you see the videos? Yes. He deserved it. Yep. What, What was the guy doing? He was literally like annoying Mike Tyson, being like, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson. Oh my God, it's Mike Tyson. I dare you to hit me. I dare you to hit me, Mike Tyson. And then he was like hitting him with like a bottle or something. And then Mike Tyson just lost his mind. It was great. Yeah, Mike Mike Tyson gave him one, but or a few, but now they're now he's suing <laughs> Mike Tyson. Right? And I mean that's all it was about was let's egg him on until till he hits me and then I can sue him. Yeah, could that? Yeah, and if somebody's mm-hmm. got that on video, of him saying "hit me, hit me, hit me," right? Oh yeah, shit. It's absolutely so. on video of him absolutely egging this man on, and on Mike is very calm. He's, he's laughing at first. He's like, "Yeah, but he just leave me alone. I'm just trying to like enjoy my flight," and then he can't take it anymore. So, the other story that was in the news this oh, week was my second favorite story. Um which is about a bride and a <laughs> caterer <laughs> who laced their um, meal for their wedding with weed. And this nice. happened in Florida, not Colorado, <laughs> where I live. Nice, nice, nice. So I thought that was a pretty fun one uh, to hear about when I was listening to the news and um at first, people were talking about like it was like some really crazy drug they put in their meals. So I was like, oh, my God, did they put like laxatives or like fentanyl or like what did they do? No, it's just some weed. Probably, everyone was probably like, this is great. Yeah. I mean, did, did they just throw loose leaves in there or did they just did they make it right? I mean, it sounds like they mixed it in with the foods. So they probably made like weed butter. Oh, yeah. Things yeah, like yeah. that. And then yeah. they cooked with it. But Mm -hmm. I guess what is being charged against them is that it was like without consent. So it's like drugging without consent. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Can't do that. Can I chime in from a uh, smoker's perspective? Uh, You get three comments. How do you not taste that? Yeah. Like it's, it's an unmistakable flavor. Well, I think they did taste it. Like guests said it tasted weird. And they felt weird after eating it. And then they like called the police and like an ambulance because apparently some of them have never been high before. So, so who, who, who dosed who? The bride and the caterer together apparently made this decision to add it to the weed. The groom was not arrested, just the bride and the caterer. Wow. So, and they did it to the cake? To everything, all the food. Oh yeah, that's probably bad because they probably took way more in than needed. Yeah. How do you do it to all the food? I am not sure. Should we ask our resident smoker? 
Yeah, I mean, is it possible to do like everything? Can you make anything into a weed edible? Yes. Uh, there was this girl who made edibles online, and what she did was she used it, or she used uh, an extract, so like a pure cannabis extract that was essentially flavorless. She just added to whatever, and you dose it out like, okay, here's a milligram per whatever. You wouldn't know. But it sounds like if these people could actually taste it, these people probably used a can of butter, a can of oil or something, some infused fat, because that's how it binds molecularly, is it binds the fat. That's why, you know, wheat butter is so popular. Um, but it takes like two hours for edibles to hit mostly. Like how long after these people started eating it did they feel weird? And are they 100% sure it was actually weed? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the news article that I, or the newscast that I saw, it was all over the news. Um, didn't really talk too much about it, so not sure. All right. But that is actually not the Florida man story that I chose for today. <clears throat> so I thought about doing those stories, but then I was like, nay, because there's this one story that keeps popping up that I've chosen for this week. Florida man accused of trying to steal horses and riding them home. <laughs> so he just randomly going to people's barns and hopping on their horse and saying, I'm out of here. Set him free. So deputies say that this Florida man wanted to set the horses free. A Florida man is behind bars after deputies say he tried to free horses from a local ranch. The Lake County Sheriff's Office says the ranch owners reported several horse stalls open and horses on the loose. As the horses were being corralled, the owners told deputies they saw a man driving the owner's truck. Um, and that when the owners found the man and asked him why, he said he didn't believe that horses should be caged. <laughs> the Fruitland Park <laughs> man also told owners that he tried to mount one of the horses and ride it home, but it just got away from him. Well, I've been there. Yeah. Not with a horse, but things <laughs> get away from it. Uh, the sheriff's office says that horses are valued at twenty dollars to $80,000 each. Um, oh, my God. What are they, purebred horses here? What are we talking about? horses are like a million dollars, if yeah, not more. I know. And Lake County is all kind. Of, I mean, Lake County is very rural. Um, I've, I've been through there with work. And <laughs> there's, yeah, horses are big time up there. I was going to say, what are they, breeding purebreds, like secretariat and shit out there? What's going on? That's a good question. Ocala has the horse racing places. So there's a bunch of purebred horses in Ocala. And I would assume it would travel to Lake, a little bit north into Lake. Yeah. 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 My wife has some people in her family that do that. that, um, Deal with the horses, raise the horses and... Um, well, so our Florida man was taken into custody. He was booked at the detention center on burglary, burglary, grand theft auto and grand theft charges. Um, but the grand theft auto was not for trying to ride the horses, which I'm sure you were thinking it was because he did steal the truck to let the horses free. He just wanted them to be free. Horses shouldn't be in cages. Oh, so he was just opening the gate and letting him out. He wasn't, I mean, I guess he maybe tried to ride one and it wouldn't let him ride. So he stole the truck. Well, I think he tried to like get them into the truck stall or into the truck like thing and like then set them free. But I mean, oh. horses aren't easy. They're not, it's like 
they're not easy to herd. No, you got to get gear on them and stuff for them really to. Yeah. At least, a, uh, what do they call that? A bite. I think it's called. I don't know. I'm not a horse person, but. Somebody knows what that piece that goes in horse's mouth is called. Please write us at the waters run deep podcast at gmail.com. Love it's to hear bit. from you. It's a, it's a bit, bit, right? Yeah, it's a bit mm-hmm. and bridle. Well, since he gave us the answer, still send us an email. <laughs> Let me know if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we could we should probably like call Courtney and be like our other cousin, another waters, and say Oh, she would it? know. What is this about? So Anyways, that just kept popping up when I was looking for Florida Man and reading my Florida Man stories every day. And um, that's a good one. That's a good I thought one. Thought it was kind of funny, um, a little humorous, and I, I think the good. one for our uh, in-person episode got a little, uh, little sketchy there for a bit. It was a big story in in Florida when I, we <laughs> were there. It turned. It was like after we did it, it was like a big. Oh no! It was the episode before our in-person episode we did. Where the guy got ran over by the no, it was our porta potty. Oh, well, it, it was, was? the porta potty. Yeah, and I don't think I realized that it was so new. Yeah, um, and it was like a big deal. Like the family was suing and stuff because they were saying that the company and the guy was negligent. It was a whole big deal. I mean, it was a tragic accident. Don't get me wrong, but I think the family's going a little stretch of trying to. Yeah, this guy's priority beside himself. He just ran over his coworker. You know. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Sure maybe maybe there's probably like more to the story. There's probably more to the story. Who knows? Anywho. All right. <clears throat> well, um, just some information. So today's resources that I used for our topic um, was history.com. I listened to a couple podcasts. So our fellow podcasters, um, like um, conspiracy podcast by the people that do all like the story podcasting. What's the one you like, Adam? The podcast that tell all the stories that you like, like the monotone two people, hard casting, um, yeah, and then a couple other casting. people, um, Mile High. Um, I really like Mile Higher. They do some interesting ones, so um, they were helpful. I also looked into information from Religions News Service and mm. Slate dot com, and of course the Vatican. Because oh, yeah, like they always tell the truth to go right to the source. Um, I also would like to say to our listeners, do not come for us because we as if we are preaching hearsay or fallacy against the Catholic Church. I am not planning to be excommunicated from the church today. Maybe tomorrow. Not today. This is just a theory that I'm going to convince my cousins is true. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So today's topic is really looking at conspiracy theories. Um, I, I, when I was doing my research, I realized that there are a lot of conspiracy theories in regards to the Catholic Church. And um, if we wanted to do a whole episode on all of them, we would be here for 7,000 days. And that each theory probably could have their own episode. And I didn't want to take away from that. So I decided to choose my favorite topic today, which is inspired by the Da Vinci Code. Um, And then thought maybe as we go through, we can do some more as they come up. Um, So as they say, all roads lead to Rome. And that is also true one way or another, that all conspiracy theories lead back to the Vatican. 
the Holy See, the home of the Pope. Be it the Illuminati, aliens, time machines uh, buried in hidden artifacts, Vatican is a favorite subject for many conspirators, uh, and thanks to its secrecy and its talent for smoke and mirrors, it has really led a new wave of conspiracy theories. Um, The Roman Catholic Church has always been an attractive target for conspiracy theorists due to its large part of its elaboration and sometimes mysterious-seeming rituals, its association with secret societies like the Knights Templar, the Illuminati, um, the Rosicrucians. I've never heard of them, but that might be a fun topic. You never heard of the Rosicrucians? No. Have you heard of the... um Oh man, I forgot the name on, but they're they're they came from the Rosicrucians. The, the um, Rastafarians? Black nobility, I believe it's called. No, yeah, but now we're gonna do a topic on that because that sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, the Rosicrucians, Black Nobility are, are kind of one and the same. It sounds like an awesome uh rap group. Yeah. Black it does nobility. Sound- <laughs> if we if we do a, a podcast on those two, I probably should do one on the um you, you said the name of them. Illuminati, but the Illuminati. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That's Absolutely. Yeah. I, when I was digging through, I was thinking like, oh, I could talk about the Illuminati. And I was starting to like, and I was like, no, that is its whole own. Yeah. Topic, you know what? Not multiple. Yeah. Not to give away that episode, but I, I, I honestly, whether it's the Illuminati with that's what they call themselves. I wholeheartedly 110, 25,000% believe that. The, the people that are in your face saying they're controlling the government is actually not the people that are pulling the strings. I truly believe that the private sector, you know, all these big conglomerates, you know, uh, Meta, um, Apple, Google, you know, Google, all those are the ones. And we're that happy are, for your sponsorship. Yes, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll you, definitely. You need the big monies. The big monies are controlling. Yeah. Yes. They're pulling. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the most remarkable is that the church has also become a target for a large number of Catholic conspiracy theorists, um, and tales that paranoid believers spin and then make that make the Da Vinci code actually look pretty normal and novice. Um, and we'll get into those, I think future down the line, but what I really wanted to start with, like I said, um, was the, uh, yeah, was kind of talking about the Knights Templar and the Holy Church. Sorry, I lost my place where I was reading. Oh, okay. Thanks for something's editing. ruffling up. Something's ruffling like a motherfucker up on that mic. It is. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Oh, probably my paper. I'll move it. Oh, you good? All right. So theory or history states that on Christmas Day in eleven nineteen, the King of Jerusalem, Baldwin, not related to Alec. The second persuaded a group of French knights led by Pure de Palme the second to serve their souls by protecting pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land, and thus the beginning of the Order of the Knights Templar. This revolutionary order of knights lived as monks and took vows of poverty, chastity, but they were a little different than our typical monks. They also took up arms to fight and protect civilians that were dangerously traveling the roads to conquer the new kingdom of Jerusalem. Why we keep trying to conquer Jerusalem, I don't know. Yeah, we it's constantly somebody's trying to take that shit over. Right. And 
how could you know it must have been they must have been really like sex craved it was that was like something they had to jump to do is saying like look guys we got to stop sleeping with with other people because we just were forgetting about praying and protecting these people i feel like that's how that came about of cutting that out you know and same Mm -hmm. with drinking is it was like it was being done too much so we're like we got to cut that out you know you gotta find some guys that are still willing to fight but they gotta take up chastity and soberness and that's probably hard because you got to think how many people want to give that up you know the the booze and then and the sex you know the booze and the broads i don't know yeah for sure so from these humble beginnings the order would grow to become one of the premier christian military forces of the crusades and remind you the crusades were um, expeditions held by european kings that then would go on and try to take over uh, Turkey, Jerusalem, a lot of Muslim countries. Yes, sir. I, I, I don't. I don't want to, you know, praise myself, but I don't drink, and I haven't had a female in a while. So, so you could be a member of the Knights Templar. I, I mean, you know, who says I'm not right now? Well, we are actually going to go through what it takes to be a member of the Knights Templar. So, just let's just wait and see, Dave. Is it one of those you have to ask to be added? That's a Freemason thing there. That is a Freemason, but I thought the Knights Templar came from the Freemasons. Or the Freemasons came from mm. the Knights Templar. And the Rosicrucians are in there somewhere. Hmm. We'll get into that. All right. Let's keep Ooh. going through some history. Um, so however, it is prominence in growing wealth that provoked opposition with the rival orders, uh, which falsely created blasphemy and blame of the Crusades and the Holy Land that allegedly destroyed the Templar. Although the Templars were opposed by those who rejected the idea of religious military order and later by those who criticized their wealth and influence, they were supported by many secular and religious leaders. Um, It was in 1139 that Pope Innocent II issued the Order of Special Privileges, which said the Templars were allowed to build their own oratories and were not required to pay tithe or tithing. So that's um, money to the church. Uh, They were also exempt from Episcopal jurisdiction, um, and they only had to be subject to the Pope alone. So they could basically get away with whatever they wanted. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good deal back then right there. Yeah, I agree. All right. So what does it take to be a knight and the Knights Templar? Let's see if you are willing to do it. First, you have to swear an oath to poverty, chastity, and obedience. And renounce world, like worldly goods, as other monks have done. Dave, how do you feel about that? Can we swear chastity, poverty, and obedience? Well, chastity, poverty. I've kind of got down. I tend to fight with obedience, but I think I could get down with that. All right. Like other monks, uh, Templars heard the divine offer office during each of the canic hours, and were expected to honor the fasts and vigils of the monastic calendar. Uh, you were frankly found in prayer and expressed particular veneration to the Virgin Mary. Do you want me to make that a little bit more layman's terms for our folks who might not understand? So uh, you had to like attend church, go to church services, pray, all of that, um, honor fasts and vigils during holy days and like times of silence, things like that. Um, and then, of course, pray and they pay special attention to Mary, the mother of God. Dave, how's that sound? (laughs) 
That was not Dave. <laughs> that, that way. I was like, what are you watching? Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I didn't laugh at any of that. Um, I mean, the Virgin Mary had a very big part in everything that we're living today. So I guess that could be good for her. Um, the church thing. Well, I mean, seeing as how this was their job, church was kind of like fitted into everything that they could do. You know, what sucks today is your work, your job can interfere with you going to church. You know, yeah, this is your job. Yeah. You know, how how are you, you can't claim to be a true Christian. You don't go to church. You don't, you you don't worship as you, as you should and stuff like that. Well, you know, I kind of have to have some bills to pay. The church doesn't pay my life, you know, you know, but in this role, it would pay your life if you'd like it to. I think I could get down with the nights. I mean, you point. don't really have a life because you just swore to privacy, uh, privacy, <laughs> poverty, again. chastity, and obedience. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. This is might be where it gets tricky for you, buddy. You ready? You are not allowed to gamble, swear, become drunk, and we're required to live in community, sleeping in a common dormitory and eating meals together. Ah. <laughs> Uh, sleeping in the common dormitory, that one might get me. It was, yeah, it's, yeah, I can't become drunk. And what was the other one? You can't gamble or swear. Can't gamble or swear. I mean, gambling isn't something that yeah. I'm huge with. I, I mean, I do like going to the casino all of a sudden, but um, and swearing. I mean, I could live a life without swearing. Fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> my boy. All the other stuff may be reasonable. With the swearing, fuck that. <laughs> um, I do think maybe swearing was different back then. So I don't know if you all have watched the um, Netflix special special with Nicolas Cage, and it's like the history of curse words. Have you seen that? No, no. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, and it teaches you about like what is fuck, shit, bitch, all of those words mean. And honestly, a lot of them didn't really become swear words until like modern day. So I think when they talk about swearing, I'm wondering if it means like taking God's name in vain. I mean, I still probably have a hard time with that. My dad used to tell this thing that shit came from the acronym on the ship where they put stuff, you know, they couldn't store the manure low in the cargo ship because it would catch fire. So they put right on the side of the container, S-H-I-T, which stands for ship high in transit. And apparently that's where shit came from. but. Apparently that's not true. Yeah. They actually talk about that like myth and like where it came from and all of that. Um, there, what's the one about boxing, Adam? Do you remember that one? I'm like, oh, I can't think of it now. You have to watch it. It's really cool. And they talk about like how this one word was not bad at all. And then the, re- the way that it became bad was because like of just the different change in like the fifties and sixties. Oh wow! It's a cool yeah, it's shot. Pretty interesting, yeah. I mean, back then they cussed. Back when the uh, Crusades were going on, they probably called people, you know, flustery filler buckets or something like that. And that was a gollywags. Yeah, yeah, some shit like that. <laughs> I really think we should bring flus- Was it flustering? Flustering filibusters. Yeah. Flustering filibusters. We're gonna bring <laughs> that one back. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, stop being a flustering filibuster. I'm going to have to try you that one out at work. You flustering you filibuster, get in the whole thing. Yeah, you <laughs> flustering filibuster, let's go. 
<laughs> oh man. They were trying to get you for cursing it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, so they'll be like, what did you say? So my hey, friend, what are you feeding the dogs in your studio? <laughs> no, no, my mom has got to give freaking ice. ice. Her and her. <laughs> ice it. You got to cure that. You have to cure that. Sounds will, like you're scooping dog food out. Truck. I'll live in my truck. I swear to God, I'll live in my truck. <laughs> um, hold on. Let me see. Just done with her ice addiction. Well, she's got to beat it first. She's got to beat it now and crush it. So she's going to lay it on the counter and just. Oh, shit. Dude. Oh, man. Then she's going to sit next to Amanda and eat it. So that's all we're going to hear in the whole. Uh, okay, she's done. Good night. We're going to get the full effect. Oh, man. All right. Oh, she didn't smash it up, man. <laughs> no, no. She's been eating it whole. We bought her oh, a new boy. ice machine. We might put in her room. Damn, she's going to not leave. You know that? Um. What was I going to say? Curse words. Sorry. So my friend Erica, who is a big listener to the podcast, um, one time we were driving in our car with her kiddos and her like littlest one was like nine, maybe eight or nine. And she was like, oh my God, this song has the C word in it. And I was like, What's, what song has a C word in it that we're like listening to? And Ariana so Grande I- and uh, what's her name's type song? Well, maybe I don't, I was like, I don't think this song has a C word. I was trying to figure it out. So I said to Erica, I was like, what's the C word to an eight year old? It's the word crap in case anyone's wondering. Oh, wow. I was like, when did your eight year old learn the real C word? Yeah. So. I, that sounds like something mine would say was, is say crap is a bad word. It's because you parent well. Try to. You listen All right, to here's my the last foul one. mouth, and <laughs> yeah, right. wouldn't think that, but here we go. That's what Adam and I said yesterday. We're like, man, if we have kids, they're gonna get called in the teacher's office all the time for swear words. Yeah, it's gonna be awful. Okay, here's our last one for you, Dave. The knights were not, however, closely clustered. They were monks, so they were not allowed to perform. Do- oh, sorry. Oh, let me start that over again. Reading is hard. Um. They were not, however, strictly clustered. So although they were monks, they were not expected to perform devotional readings. So a lot of the Templars were actually uneducated and unable to read Latin. And instead, they were expected to fight. Like, war. Oh, so they were too dumb to be preachers or priests. Monks, yeah. Monks, so they just said, you're going to go fight. So you're going to be the cannon fodder. Yeah. Well, you know, they're knuckle draggers. Mm-hmm. What do you want from a knuckle dragger? Yeah. Yeah. Infantry. All right. Well, I obviously am not able to be a knight because I have lady parts. But uh, are either of you interested in joining the knights? Yeah. I watched that show uh, Nightfall on uh, one of them shits. It's called Nightfall and it's about the Crusades and the uh, the uh, Knights of the Templar. You ever watch that? No. What channel is that on? I don't know. I think it's a Canadian show. It's pretty good. It's in English, obviously, because it's Canadian. Um, it's called Nightfall. Nightfall. It's pretty good. Those Canadians are are freaking rocking the shows. <laughs> I mean, you know, prior yeah. to this episode, prior to being recorded, we were talking about Letterkenny. Phenomenal mm-hmm. show. Phenomenal show so in its own good. right. Pitter patter. <laughs> Let's get at her, baby. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> All right. Well, 
The Templar gradually expanded their duties from protecting pilgrims to mounting a broader defense of the Crusades and the stakes of taking the Holy Land. They built castles, uh, garnished important towns, and participated in battles, building significant contingents against Muslim armies until the fall of the Ark, which was the last remaining crusade um, to stronghold the Holy Land in 1291. Was that on Mount Sinai? Uh, no, I thought the fall of the Ark was actually in. So I'm not sure what that is supposed to be. But they call it the fall of the Ark, which makes me assume it was somewhere uh, in Jerusalem. So it could have been Sinai. I think it was. I'm trying to remember my history here, but I think I think it was. They. I don't remember, but I think they did. They. they Put online that they lost it online and not not like in the interwebs, but <laughs> I was like, they had the internet in 1291. But like put out there that they lost it, but I think there's a conspiracy that the Knights Templar actually snuck it out of mm. Jerusalem and saved it and hid it somewhere in like Ethiopia or something. Oh yes, okay. Mm-hmm. I hear about yeah. Um By the mid-12th century, the constitution of the order and its basic structure were established. Um, It had a grand master who was elected for life and served in Jerusalem. And then the territories were divided into different provinces, and each were governed by, like, a provisional uh, commander. Um, And then there was a house that was called a preceptory, and there was a head of the, the preceptory. General chapter meetings of all members of the order were held to address important matters that affected the Templars and to elect a new master if necessary. And similar meetings were held in each uh, providence level and weekly meetings were held at the house. So there were yeah, originally, that, yeah. That show goes over all that. Like all that stuff sounds familiar. That's it's pretty accurate. I'm going to have That's to watch cool. that show. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so the Templars cool. originally had two different classes that you could join, Dave. You could be a knight or a sergeant. So the knight. Uh, I think I'm going to go for the knight. I, I want the knight. Well, maybe you want to hear what they did first before you choose. Well, you know, I'm kind of one of those. Let's jump in it blind. All right, let's go. Fair so the enough. knight brothers came from the military aristocracy. Aristocracy, not aristocracy. <laughs> Close enough. Words are hard. Aristocracy. And were trained in the arts of war. They assumed elite leadership positions in the order and served a royal and papal courts. Only the knights wore the Templars' distinctive regalia, so that white coat with the red cross that we're used to seeing. Like I think of like um, Mighty Python and the Holy Grail, and they have like yeah. that costume. That's usually what you're used to. It actually was not that many people or not many knights who wore that. It was a special group you had to be a part of. The second group were the you know the sergeants or the serving brothers, who were usually lower social class. And they made a majority up of the members. They dressed in black habits and served both as warriors and servants to the Knight Brothers. So I kind of think it's interesting that even in this like monk, like poverty, chastity, obedience kind of world, there was still like a caste system based on your status. Yeah. Yeah. They were basically the bitches of the yeah. of the of the group that they were doing the, the servant work and also so that's kind of they were doing the same thing as their brothers per se but yet they were a lower standing and probably got yeah. shittier digs and everything well they didn't make as much money as their upper class folks right 
Yeah. So if you had like had a, a parent who maybe was from a part of the aristocracy and you're like, maybe like the third or fourth son, they may have said, Hey, your role is to go be a knight Templar and you're yeah. going to go yeah. do that. Yeah. And then maybe your dad's a farmer and you're the ninth son. And they're like, we don't really care what you do. We're just shocked you made it to adulthood. Yeah. I'm shocked you made it. So, um, there was eventually a third ca- class added the chaplains who were responsible for holding religious services, administering sacraments, so like communion, baptism, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then addressing the spiritual needs of the other members. Um, so basically and, a priest to the, the, yeah. Yeah. Priest. Yeah. Um, and then although women were not allowed to join the order, there is some information about at least one like nunnery or Templar nunnery. So there was like one world that there was some sisters. Oh, good. Um, but there isn't a ton of information about that. So, you know, down the road, maybe I could have been a nun, the Templars. That, that I doubt they sweet. were allowed to fight, though. They probably were just like there probably to like, like cook uh, and clean the toilets. Who do you think sewed all those red crosses on those <laughs> outfits? Exactly. Definitely no offense to my lady listeners. It's, it was a different time. You had to have <laughs> equal opportunity then, too. Okay. Absolutely. Um, the Templars eventually acquired great wealth. And so uh, with the kings and great nobles of Spain, France, and England, they gave them lordships, castles, um, estates, all of the things to the order. And by the mid-12th century, the Templars owned property scattered throughout Russian Europe, the Mediterranean, and the Holy Land. So a ton of property they owned, which goes against poverty, right? Yeah. And they were st- the, the, the whole point of the Knights, I think, were that they were supposed to live in like poverty ish conditions. It was like the bare minimums, but right. you know, what's funny is that show puts at least the, the, the first and part of the second season I've watched is that apparently the Knights Templar had a big issue with France. Like towards the end, the France was kind of on their heels, not wanting mm-hmm. them and trying to get them excommunicated and all that. Yeah. So the Templars' military strength ended, um, enabled them to safely collect, store, and transport billions to and from Europe and the Holy Land. And their network of treasure storehouses and effective transportation organization is what really attracted bankers, kings, and nobles to them because they were able to get things out of the Holy Land into, um, you know, whatever. And back then, it was really like prime money to be able to say, Oh, this is the bone of St. Peter. Like that was kind yeah. of like gold. Yes. Um, another fun fact is that a lot of times Christians weren't allowed to deal in money. That's why a lot of Jewish people had banks. They were the ones that really dealt with the money. And then the Christians dealt with like trade, things like that. Mm. So wealth was a little bit different at the time. Um, and religious artifacts meant wealth. So mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. <clears throat> So they weren't without enemies, as we said, um, with the fall of the Ark to the Muslims in 1291, much of the Templars reason for existing was removed. And with that, their great wealth, extensive land holdings in Europe and power uh, began to create resentment towards them. Although an ex-Templar had accused the order of blasphemy and immortality, it was only later when Philip the fourth, I had to do my Roman numeral math there. Uh, ordered the arrest of every Templar in France and sequestered all the Templars' property in the country 
that Europe became to be aware of maybe the alleged crimes that were against the orders. Kind of like you said, Chris, France was the beginning yep. of that. And a lot of it came from jealousy, hearsay, this is not what it's supposed to be, that kind of stuff. Some yeah, crimes was accused. A, oh, sorry. There was a lot of jealousy uh, going on there that caused the issue with France that started all that big time. Yeah. I'm really interested in seeing this show. It seems really good. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. So some of the crimes that were um, accused were hearsay, uh, immortality, which I'm not sure how that's a crime. Yeah. But, like, how does that work? I don't know. It's kind of cool. Um, specific charges include idol worship. So there was this theory that they worshipped a bearded man's head, and it was said to give them mm-hmm. great powers, like immortality. They worshipped a cat. Nice. I mean, I have a cat, and sometimes I think she thinks we worship her. Let's see, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Summer, the uh, white and black cat. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, back then, wasn't there? I mean, oh yes, the Bible was around and stuff like that. But there was laws against worship, worshiping some a, a false idol, something other than oh, Christ, yeah. right? Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a big thing to say. Oh, they worship a cat was a huge especially oh. also i think or a, beard, the, a bearded man's head i mean where'd you find that head i don't know but <laughs> I mean, come across some pretty head, pretty good powers now we right. can't die <laughs> right right um they also were charged with homosexuality makes sense that was a huge crime back then um and then numerous other like errors of belief and practice um apparently this is what a fun one at the secret initiation rite, it was claimed that a new member had to deny Christ three times, which that makes sense when you think about the story of um, Peter. Yeah. And Peter denied Christ three times. I should know that we talked about it during church last week. Um, deny Christ three times. And Christ said, one of you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he did. So I guess I get that. Um, they had to spit on the crucifix, which that just sounds very unhygienic. And then they were kissed on the base of the spine, on the navel, and on the mouth by the night proceeding over the ceremony. Wow. Kind of got a little kinky. So that's right above the butt crack. <laughs> right in the belly button. Mm-hmm. And where was the third kiss? Right on, on the lippers. Oh, so that's why they're celibate, because they're doing each other. I see the that's, game there. I mean, it, it just got weird. Let's I mean, talk yeah. about this for a minute. I okay, so I, I, I understand, I guess, I, I guess in theory, I understand the denying of Christ three times. It's going to bother me. You know, honestly, it's going to bother me. And then you have to spit on the crucifix. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave now, guys, because... There's some hell and damnation coming down on this this chapter pretty soon for doing this. Yeah. And then I got the knight that's running the show. All right, buddy, turn around. We're going to give you a putting kiss his, here. Putting his chapstick on in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Getting all ready for the, <laughs> the tailbone kiss, the, the yeah. navel Puts kiss. Puts the lotion then, on the lips so it gets the hose again. So he's kissing you on your ass crack, your belly button, and then coming right up to the lips? Yeah, Bert's yeah. beeswax and all. I mean, can it's we do not this backwards? just you. Can I get like a liver, <laughs> maybe a belly button, and butt crack? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of lost on the order. 
Yeah, just uh, I'm I'm all thrown off. I think you want I think you want to get kissed on the mouth first. I don't want to kiss him after he kisses my butt crack. No, I'm really thinking it's 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 going to be before my butt crack. I think it's I think this is that's the order: the spine, the navel, and the mouth. But you aren't the only one that's doing it because I'm not imagining it's only one person being initiated. Hold on a minute. So I could be like third in line. Wait, if they do it alphabetically, you're like the last. So I'm last watching this come down the line. Butt crack. (laughs) Ain't nothing no, worse. Lips crack, butt crack, navel lips. Come on, that's two butt crack. Yeah, I'm like that's, 20, that's, 20 guys in. He's yeah. coming in hot lips, hula hand, straight from the butt crack. And see, that's the thing. That's when it doesn't come in handy when you're at the back of that train. <laughs> you know, those guys weren't showering very well. well that was what I was thinking too. This was twelve mid century, you know, twelfth century. Like that yeah. was like a once a twelfth month you showered. Hey, you know why crabs are always tired? Why crabs? Yeah, why crabs are always tired. Why? Because they sleep in snatches. There you have it. There you have it, folks. Man, we just went down a degree on this freaking rating. Oh, Oh, my goodness. That's a good one. So let's go back to this. Above the spine crack. Is that like a father, son, Holy Spirit type of thing going on there? No, because you do your head, Would the middle your of your chest, your and your side. No, he's saying like when you pray as a Catholic, you do Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Right. I get that. But that is but nothing. How I don't know. That work from butt crack navel to I mean, I guess the navel, the navel in the mouth I can get, okay, because your mother provided you nutrients through your navel. You're taking in nutrients through your mouth, so I guess you could bless that through God. Uh, you're taking in <laughs> some other kind of nutrients, nutrients <laughs> yeah. through your booty. Well, from what it sounded like, with all the sleeping in the guys' quarters, they were bringing in some nutrients. <laughs> yeah, they were leaving some nutrients on each other's backs. <laughs> okay, so uh, the reason why the King of France, Philip, thought to destroy the Templar is quite unclear. He may have generally feared their power. Um, and may have been motivated by his own piety to destroy the um, hierarch- the, the group itself, um, or maybe to seize their immense wealth. Like, I think when you get to that level of kingdom and power, you're like, wait, what is more powerful than me? Um, we saw that if we think about uh, when England left the Catholic Church and formed the Church of England, a lot of it was because King Henry VIII was like, God is not more power than me. I am basically God. He kind of thought that like he is the church and was picked by God, very uh, Egyptian thinking. Um, So there's some some thought about if that's why. At any rate, uh, King Philip mercilessly pursued the order and had many of its members tortured. And then they had to secure false confessions to say, um, you know, that, that this actually happened. Adam is texting me and telling me that it is because he wanted to divorce. And yes, King Henry did leave the Catholic church because he, they would not grant him an annulment. So he could leave his wife, uh, the first queen, Catherine of Aragon. I know all about that history. We could have that in a whole different podcast if we like. Um, <laughs> but one of the reasons that he left the church is because they convinced him that the Pope has more power than him. And he said, no one has more power than me. I am the king. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a lot with the the France was this, you know yeah. the jealousy and he mm-hmm. has more power than me. Nobody has more power than me. I'm a king. All that crap. Oh yeah, power is a really interesting um, emotion. It's a I don't drug. Know, it's the worst drug, drug. Yeah, ever. It is something that I would love to even us to. I bet we could talk about power and how it plays into conspiracy theories and. Just different Big aspects time, of who has power. It. Yeah. It's just very fascinating. At any rate, uh, so Pope Clement V himself, a Frenchman, did order the arrest of all the Templars in November 1307. So, you know, about mm, 18 years after um, the fall of the Templars. And um, the church council in 1311 overwhelmingly voted against the suppression and the Templars in other countries were found innocent of their charges. Clement, however, used strong pressure from Philip and suppressed that order. And then the Templars property throughout Europe was transferred to another uh, order of monks uh, called the Hospitallaries um, or confiscated by secular rulers and went back to the kingdoms. The knights who confessed and were reconciled to the church were sent into retirement in the order's former homes or in monasteries. Uh, But those who refused to confess um, or who, quote unquote, relapsed. I don't know how one relapses into a a fraternity order, but maybe they do. (laughs) Yeah, they attended the union meeting. Uh, They really were missing that kiss on the butt and the back and the navel and the crack and all of that camaraderie kisses <laughs> camaraderie kisses um t-shirt i think that's what we're gonna make it is Camra- free camaraderie kisses i'm brought to you by join the, the templars Church. yes yes sponsored by the catholic church Sponsor- free camaraderie oh. kisses Ooh. sponsored by the catholic church Ooh, that could go so many ways <laughs> so many ways i'm not yes. against it though um uh, so yeah, those who failed to do that or relapsed were put on trial among those found guilty. They were, um, then, uh, committed to you know, prison and life in prison. Um, a really interesting thing. The last grand master Jacques de Mola, um, was found guilty, commit, um, put to life for prison. And then he actually was the last victim of being burned at the stake. They stopped doing that. After Jacques, he was the last one. Wow. So, poor Jacques. Yeah, wow, that's something to be burned at yeah. the stake. That's terrible. Whew, I can't imagine that, right? I couldn't imagine that punishment. Like, honestly, we no, should bring that bad. one back. That should be a punishment. If you did that in the street, like, okay, you've been sentenced to burn at the stake in the street, crime, your crime rate in that county would drop. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's wicked. Would you rather be burned at the stake, beheaded by either a guillotine or an X, or be hung? Beheaded. Beheaded. Yeah. I want it over and done. Mm. Over and done. I want to inspect the axe first or the guillotine to make sure she's sharp. <laughs> Ain't nothing so like, like getting your head lopped off with a butter knife. Listen, if it. <laughs> Makes if it gets the job done, I don't care how sharp it is. The guillotine has a hundred percent kill rate. It's a quick, efficient, 
painless way to die of all the ways to die. It's probably the most humane. Graphic. Yeah. Yeah. The most humane. Yeah. I mean, it's a heavy, it's a big, heavy piece of metal, whether it's sharp or not. I mean, it's going to kill the person. Mm -hmm. It's going to either break their neck or lop it off. So when we were in, um, I was in Granada in Spain and they had this museum and it was called the torture museum of the Spanish um, inquisition. And it was all of the like torture devices they used. And there were a lot of things dealt with things going up the booty. Yeah. And it was like spikes that up the booty and like moved around. Yeah. (gasps) The crime and punishment museum in DC. It's the same thing. They got a like, it's like a, I don't know what the deal is with punishment between aliens and everything else. Everybody wants to do some damage to buttholes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I remember walking through. I probably have a picture somewhere. I'll send to our social media expert and they can put it on there. But I was like, Jesus. Like, I was clenching because I just couldn't yeah. imagine. And that and a lot of. Um, I think I might get you the password for social media so you can post those. Oh, you don't want me to share that with our social media expert? I have the password. I mean, she's 13. That would be kind of a uh, a traumatic Now is the to time into. to learn about the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It's your Monty <laughs> Python joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, honestly, I, I, I always think that, like, beheading, I'm just like, oh, one minute you're alive, and then, like, you're not. Where like burning just seems terrible because you're just like feeling yourself burn, and you probably die from, or you probably pass out from smoke inhalation before. Yeah, but you're seeing you're you're feeling. Yeah, you know when you're you're feeling the inevitable is what you're doing, and you're feeling it to the worst ratio. You're not only struggling breathing, but you're also your skin's melting off your body, starting oh, at mm-hmm. your feet, which is pretty sensitive. I mean, there was a it's like drowning. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty wicked. Your head's underwater. You you, you're seeing everything. You're very conscious of of what's coming, and all you can do is bring it, breathe in water. Yeah, yeah. That's actually one of the most violent ways to die in painful ways. What is drowning? Oh, that's why Uh, waterboarding. Just in America, set himself on fire to kill himself outside the Supreme Court. I saw that. They said that you really only experience like. A little bit of not a little bit of pain, but it sears all of your nerve endings off after a couple seconds. You eventually don't feel anything. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Ooh. My yeah, biggest fear of dying is the I mean, all of them sound terrible, but like suffocation just really like sounds I recently suffocation and drowning is like meh. But I recently came to the buried alive fear. Because mm. like you're you're gonna starve to death, or, or the the water, or go without water and dehydrate or whatever. You're you're gonna you're there. But wouldn't you lose ball. air first? P- potentially, but can I can I speak on suffocation? Because I was almost. Oh there. yeah. It's oh, yeah. It, that it. I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible when you know. Okay, I have to breathe, and you struggle, struggle against everything, and you're not you're not breathing. It's it's horrible. Scary. It's something that you do without thinking that when you can't do it, it's you take it for granted. And then when you can't do it, like I can imagine. Yeah. I, I had another bout with it um, last night. Uh, my Savannah and I were sitting here on the couch 
And she, you know, came over and she was hugging me and, you know, kind of cuddling with me. And all of a sudden it was like, um, I need you to get up. I can't breathe. And she's like, are you okay? I was like, no, no. And I, you know, I took my, obviously the hospital gave me a pulse ox. So I took it. My oxygen was down to 93. And, you know, at that point, okay, the hospital is looking at you, but they're not too concerned. You know, and yeah. I was at 80, 82 or in the seventies when I was in the hospital and I'm just thinking, Oh my God, like at 93, I was getting worried. Like I could feel my chest, you know, was tight and all that. It's, it's unreal, man. It's, it's not a way I'd want to die. Like give me one round, tell me I'm going to suffocate and give me a round and, and, and I'm going to take the round real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, enough about dying. Let's talk about some life, shall we? Moving on. So one of the big responsibilities and the reason I want to talk about the Knights Templar was there are some conspiracy theories that kind of go around the Templar. Um, Allegedly, there is a big theory behind the French Revolution and the Templars playing a role in that. That seems a little interesting because the Templars were disbanded about four to five hundred years before the revolution. So we're saying, you know, Hey, they're still around if they're doing that. Um, but the most common known one is the Holy grail or the grail. So I'm assuming both of you know about the Holy grail. You probably could give your thoughts about it. Thank you. Indiana Jones. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the templates were templates. (laughs) The Templars were associated with the legend of the Holy grail as defenders of the grail's castle through the remainder of the Middle Ages. In the 18th century, the Freemasons claimed to have secretly received that secret line of succession and the knowledge passed down by the Templars regarding the Grail. Later, fraternal orders similarly invoked the Templar name to bolster claims of ancient or revealed wisdom, such as resurrecting a vein of the pseudo-history and the Grail's legends, specific authors in the 20th and 21st century claiming historical fact, but many regard this as fantasy. Okay. Um, The Holy Grail, also called the Grail, was an object sought by the knights of the Arthurian, Arthurian, yeah, authors, uh, legend as part of the quest that, particularly from the 13th century, had Christian Christian meaning. The legend of the Grail possibly was inspired by Greek, Roman, or Celtic mythology, which bound are bound by horns of plenty, magical life restoring cauldrons things like that, that the Holy Grail could bring people back to life. It could resurrect. It had all these magical powers, very similar to mythology that was found in in Russian mythology, Roman, Celtic, etc. The first extent text to reveal such a vessel was um, written by, I'm going to butcher this first name, but it's like Christian de Troyes, late 17th, sorry, 12th century author who wrote a very popular but unfinished romance poem. They wrote poems back then. And it included information about this um, rustic knight called Percival, whose dominant trait was innocence, and his quest was to find the grail. Uh, In this poem, the religious part of it kind of combined with fantasy, um, brought forth this idea that grail existed, and that's what the knights were meant for, etc. In the 13th century, some more literature was written about the Grail. 
And that's kind of how it was like etched in historical stone or literature fantasy. So before we go any forward, I want you to tell me, each of you, what you know about the Holy Grail. Is it the Indiana Jones and the Goblet of Fire Grail, et cetera? What do you know about it? Indiana Jones, it's not the Goblet of Fire. It's Indiana Jones and the Temple, or the uh, Crusades. I know it's not the Goblet of Fire. That was my joke. That's a Harry Potter joke. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well played. So what I know <laughs> about left. it is that, is that uh, they, if you drink out of it, it grants you immortality. That's that's like the gist of what I know. And apparently it's unknown its current location. That's That's my gist. Yeah, I'm on the same boat. It's it's you know, thank you, Indiana Jones. You know, appreciate all the history history knowledge that he's passed on. So Adam, do you want to share what you know about the Holy Grail? I know that if you choose poorly, you die. Oh yes. <laughs> uh no, I just know pretty much what the what Indiana Jones told me. That you can't cross the line otherwise everyone dies hmm. so thank you harrison ford and steven was it steven spielberg who did indiana jones for yeah i don't know it was, i don't right? know i mean it sounds good sure um was it steven spielberg who did indiana jones i think he did the original i don't know if he did all three oh. anyways um a little bit more information about the in the goblet there's a lot of theories around it so the Holy Grail is a subject to numerous myths and legends. Some are thought to be truth. Some is thought to be uh, fiction. A lot of it is fantasy. It's traditionally thought to be a cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper. Um, and then it was used to collect his blood from the crucifixion. The ancient legend uh, to contemporary movies, the Holy Grail has been seen as an object of mystery, fascinating centuries and centuries. Scores of people have hunted for this and sought after this relic, but what makes it so significant and alluring is the question. So the word grail comes from the Latin word gradle, which refers to a deep platter of food that is like served in medieval times. So we call it that based on like medieval words. Throughout the years, the grail has been described as either a dish, a chalice, a platter, a goblet even sometimes believed to be a stone. In this one book called The Holy Blood, the Blood, yeah, Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, um, it seems to believe that the Grail was founded by the Knights Templar and taken to Scotland during the suppression in 1307, and that it continu- it is currently buried beneath the Roslyn chap- uh, Chapel there. However, another book claims that the Grail instead was taken to northern Spain and is currently protected by the Knights Templar in Spain. So lots of theories of where this is. I think, I think they know where it is. They know where the spirit of destiny is. Yeah. So the spirit of destiny is another really great example of some relics that, they, that were talked about. There were three that were talked about the spirit of destiny, the um, Holy grail, and then the Ark box that holds the 10 commandments. Ark, Ark of the covenant. Yeah. And Ark of the, the covenant. The um, Spirit of Destiny, Hitler actually had that for a bit during World War II. And he, he yeah. was thinking, because apparently there's something to do with whoever holds it, you know, never loses a battle. 
has great power or something. Yeah, yeah. So with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, Spider Man. Um, my said, yeah. Steven Spielberg did direct all four Indiana Jones movie, and there apparently is a great scene from the movie Constantine. Did that have Keanu Reeves in it? Who knows her Keanu Reeves um, about the Spear of Destiny? If anyone's interested in checking that out, so um, so scholars have speculated origins of the Holy Grail, suggesting that it may contain elements of magical cauldrons from like Celtic mythology, maybe Welsh mythology, combined with like Christian legend surrounding the Eucharist. So that's the blood and uh, body of Jesus. Um, in the wake of like romance and stories written about the Grail, there's several other artifacts that are identified. You know, we were talking about these artifacts are said to have been a vessel used at the Last Supper, maybe like during a crucifixion. Um, and despite the prominence of Grail in literature, traditions about Last Supper relics actually um, are not as like well documented or known. So kind of interesting. So there are two relics that are believed are two holy grails that are believed to be the holy grails, which I'm like, how can there be two? But apparently there are. Um, so there's one that is called the Sacro Canto, which is the sacred basin, and it uh, is also known as the Genoa Chalice. It is a green glass dish, and it dish, and it's held in uh, Gen- Genoa Cathedral, and it's said to have been used the Last Supper. Its providence is unknown. And there are two different accounts on how it was brought to Genoa by the Crusaders in the 12th century. It was not associated with the Last Supper until like much later in the wake of the Grail romances, which draws again that literature and fantasy kind of together. Um, And the cantino was moved and broken during Napoleon's conquest in the early 19th century, which revealed that it was actually made of glass and not emerald. Although I'm like, an emerald chalice does not sound easy to make. Like, no, not at all. Yeah, I um, thought emerald was a very soft stone. Yeah. That would have been yeah. a huge emerald. Yeah, I, I'd have to see. Maybe I can find some pictures of this. <clears throat> the second one is the Holy Chalice of Valencia. And it's a dish like used to mount a chalice, like a mounting dish they use for the chalice. And the bowl may date back to the Greco-Roman times. It's unclear. Um, they don't know where it was found before 1399. But it was gifted to Martin of Aragon, Aragon um, being in Spain, where Catherine of Aragon is from. Uh, by the 14th century, an elaborate tradition had developed that this object was the chalice used during the Last Supper it mirrors everything we kind of know about it, the different aspects, the different traditions. It's said to have been taken by Rome to Rome by St. Peter and then later entrusted with St. Lawrence. St. Peter being um, one of the apostles. No idea who St. Lawrence is, but he's seen like a trusty dude. And then early references do not actually call the object a grail. It was first called that in the 15th century. And then this part I think is really great. Um, so the monarch Martin of Aragon decided he didn't really care as much for it. So he sold it 
in the 15th century to the cathedral, which Ponded. is where it apparently lives now. Gave it, pawned it back to the church. Fair enough. He needed something. So it's under the Vatican somewhere. No, it's apparently still uh, at the Valencia Cathedral, where it remains a significant local icon. So you mm. might be able to go see it. Drink of it. Yeah. So kind of cool. In the 20th century, a series of new items became associated with the Grail. This includes the Natios Cup, which is a medieval bowl uh, found in Wales, a glass, glass dish in Glastonbury, England, and then another uh, chalice from the 6th century that I believe um, has become attached to some legend. Um, I may or may not have some stuff that belongs with the Grail. Uh, I have some vinegar. Have vinegar <laughs> that is probably dated back to the Holy Grail time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's definitely some things in that uh, Cheerio cabinet next to you that I think probably left Rome with Peter. Oh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure some things were handed down personally by God to uh, your mother. I'm very sure about that. Yeah. Um, so since the 19th century, the Holy Grail has been linked to a very conspira- a various amount of conspiracy theories. And the 1818 Australia, Aust- Austrian, not Australian, Austrian, different place, um, su- pseudo-historical writer Joseph von Hammerbuschner uh, connected the Grail to a contemporary myth surrounding the Knights Templar. So kind of where that connects a little bit. In that, in his work, the Grail is not a physical relic, but a symbol of a secret that only the Knights Templar know or sought after and then protected. There actually is no historical evidence linking the Templar for the search of the Grail, but many writers have theories saying that they are the ones who know the secret. So that kind of was interesting. Starting in the 20th century, writers, particularly in France, apparently France is where it's happening when it comes to the Holy Grail. Um, connected the Templars and the Grail to the Cathars. So the Cathars are like another sort of uh, order group. Um, And they identify that at this castle, that's where the Grail is. Um, And it inspired like a larger legend that the Cathars possessed the Holy Grail. Um, And then eventually it was smuggled out of the castle by the Knights Templar. So this one's one of my favorite theories. So in 1933, German writer Otto Rahn published a series of books called The Grail, Templars, and the Catherine to modern German nationalist mythology. According to Rahn, the Grail was a symbol of a pure Germanic religion repressed by Christianity. Rahn's book inspired interest in the Grail and Nazi occultism and led Heinrich Hilmer's sponsorship of Rahn to search for the Grail as well as many other subsequent conspiracy theories and fictional works about the Nazis and their search for the spear and the crow. So kind of interesting that they were searching for power there and all of that. The Nazis were big on that. Well, I mean, they were searching for all kinds of paintings and, and, and artifacts and stuff like that. They were taking all kinds of stuff from Europe. Yeah, they pillaged that pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still a lot that's being found, and um, it's a really interesting when you go to Berlin. The they have this isle, island called Museum Island, 
or whatever you would say in German. And it's, it's beautiful museums. And you can actually see like the bullet holes from like World War II, right? And you can see the bullets still like in the, the museums, but they had protected them so much because the Nazis thought eventually they were going to be the center of the world and they were going to have all this art and history and everything. And so there's this, their museums are just, it's, it's pretty nice. It's cool. It sucks that it was like they took it from other places, but pretty cool. Yeah. So, all right. So my cousins, my next big question, do you think the grail is an object or something else? I think it's an object. I don't know if the one that we know about and the one that's on display in Valencia is the legit one that's got all the fancy powers, but I think it's something. I think it, I wouldn't be surprised if it held some sort of mystical powers and granted you, you know, the Indiana Jones uh, immortality thing there. I wouldn't be surprised if it had something going on with it. I, I believe it's something. I mean, I, I'd like to think of it as a chalice or something like that, you know, a cup. Um, but I mean, that's it, what I was thinking, like a cup. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, I am ready to blow your mind because I think the Holy Grail is something else. Oh, Are you shit. ready? Okay. There's a bag of chips. I wish I'm hungry. In the late 20th century, writer Michael Beignet, Richard Lee, and Henry Lincoln created one of the most widely known conspiracy theories about the Holy Grail. This theory first appeared in the BBC documentary Chronicles in the 1970s and was elaborated upon the best-selling book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. The theory contains myths about the Templars, the Cathars, and other various legends and prominent hoaxes about the secret calling of the Priory of Siam. Have you heard about this? It sounds familiar, but I can't, I don't have exact, I have, feel like I have heard of this before. Um, sorry, my computer's going to die. You've been talking too long. Um, okay. So according to this theory, the Holy Grail is not an object, but a symbol for the bloodline of Jesus. Well, I get that it's a symbol of the bloodline, but wouldn't that make it an object? An object? No, no, no. So the blood connection is based on the etymology reading of the Holy Grail or the royal blood, which dates back to the 15th century. The narrative developed here is that Jesus was not divine and had children with Mary Magdalene, who took a family to France, where the descendants became part of the Merovingian dynasty. Some claim that Jesus even survived the crucifixion, went to another location, such as France, India, or Japan, and through that absence of the Gospels and historical records, the concept of Jesus having blood descendants was gained for public imagination. So I was watching the show the other day, and they were doing tests on the Shroud of Turin to find mm. if they could like get Jesus' DNA in order to find out if he does have any descendants, direct or indirect, mm -hmm. obviously, but any descendants here on Earth still. Have you seen that shroud that they found that has an imprint of the guy who died on it? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's called the Shroud of Turin, and supposedly it has Jesus' yeah. Jesus's imprint on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, it's from the same thing. Okay. So what this is talking about is that Jesus, they're they're saying that Jesus married Mary of Mary Magdalene and that they had children, all this stuff. Now that's not unthinkable. If we think about the time, right? He was 35. Most men are married 16, 17 back then. Um, there's a lot of conversation regarding there's these books that weren't added to the Bible because, you know, the Bible, uh, wasn't created until the Nicene. Um, I can get really into theology here. I don't want to like complicate things, (laughs) but the new Testament, (laughs) the old Testament was created a long time ago, the Torah, all that. The New Testament, those Gospels, the four Gospels that were chosen and the other parts were not added until like the Nicene congregation came together. And so when that happened, and I'm, I'm trying to think when that was, well, let me do some Googling. Uh, anyways, they picked these Gospels. So, you know, there are other Gospels written out there. Um, the First Council of Nicaea are the ones who came together and and did this. It was in um, the 325 AD. So, you know, it was 325 years after Jesus apparently was crucified on the cross. There are stories that were left out. And so, uh, you know, there is possible that stories were changed. There was this vision to be changed, to be created. There's a lot of interesting history that goes along. If you look at like Roman history and Greek history. Um, So, it is a possibility that like Jesus was married, had kids. Right. I right. mean, he was human as much as he was God. Um, right. So it's very interesting in theory. Um, there are some historical scholars who claim that it's likely that he was married uh, based on a majority of New Testament, early Christian scholars then say, well, I don't know about that again we're kind of using a man-made like man-selected history. Like I always, one of my favorite things about history is it can be told from multiple perspectives, right? Like Whoever the, the way that we is. may. Right. Exactly. And so that's kind of interesting there. Um, there is indication in uh, it's called not Gnosticism, which is the belief that Jesus and Mary Magdalene shared in an, an amorous, but not religious relationship. So she wasn't just a follower. She was his wife. Um, and they use the gospel. Gospel of Philip tells that Jesus kissed her often, refers to Mary as his companion. Um, other claims from the 13th century of the Catharsis uh, theology is that the belief that the earthly Jesus had a familiar, a fam- familial relationship with Mary Magdalene. And then there are several expansions of this in the 19th century that there were children. They even named this children. I really thought this one was interesting. But the belief that after Jesus was crucified, Mary Magdalene, along with the family of Lazarus of Bethany, so that's the person he brought back to life, uh, brought the body of Jesus to France. And then Mary had a child and they named the child Maximin. Here's my question. France? And Jerusalem are really far from each other. Right. That had to have been year long journey. Like it took the Hebrews 
what, 400 years to leave Egypt and go across the water? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but these people, I mean, back then they walked, man. They, they, if they said we're going this way, dude, 400 years, they're walking. They were walking the camels yeah. and donkeys and they, they had the train rolling. Like that, that just seems like a leave. Like you have to go through some world to get there to France. Yeah. That's at least a six hour plane ride. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, too. Like it's walking from Beverly Hills to Baltimore, Maryland. Who knows? You got Jesus. You know, he could, (laughs) hey, God, yeah. Can you throw us something? And, you know, like, can we get a quicker route, something? I mean, maybe God was like, look, I got these aliens on another planet who've been looking for something to do. I'll have them pick you up and move you over. Pyramids. Zip, zap. Pop on their uh, ship. Get on over here. We got, yeah, maybe. We got pyramids. I mean, how did those come about? Yeah, right. Um, The Egyptians, before they walked for 400 years, built those motherfuckers. I watched a whole story about it called The Prince of Egypt. They sing while they do it. Yeah, that's what they wanted you to oh. think. <laughs> That 400-year walk walk was a preparation for building those pyramids. All right, boys, get your legs right because we got something coming down the pipe. No skipping leg day. Let's go. It came before. So that building the pyramids prepared them for the 400-year walk. Oh, letter Kenny in the leg day. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was like, I I was researching that and I kept thinking like, why do we keep thinking they went to France? And that had to be like, they didn't even know France was there. It wasn't like they had the internet and they were like, Google where they want to go. I mean, maybe they knew France existed. Cause I know that like the Romans conquered Germany, but that had to be, that was filled with Vikings. Everybody and was following I, the stars crazy. then. Yeah. yeah. Look at that red star. Let's go that way. There's gotta be something good over here. Oh, France. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Hello. Uh, croissants and wine. <laughs> Why is everyone so rude here? Just kidding to our yeah. French listeners. You're not rude. That's just a stereotype. I I'm sorry that I not. can't speak your language. Believe it or not, we don't have any people from France to listen to us. Oh, thank honest, God. They have no love. We have Norwegian, uh, Scandinavia, Britain, Switzerland, all these other places. But not France for some weird. I mean, reason. they're probably too busy living their best lives, eating like croissants and cheese and drinking wine. Brian croissants all day. Mm. I don't know if I would listen to podcasts if that was my day either. All right, we're almost done here, friends. So, um, in the 20th century, this theory kind of continued on with claims that Jesus of Nazareth survived his own crucifixion. He married and settled down in Israel. Seems a little bit more legit than Spain. Um, and then the conspiracy continues continues to suggest that all this information is hidden in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which have either of you heard about these? Yes. Yes. And that's where the uh, book of Enoch was found. Yes. Um, and that these are suppressed to be because they are counter narrative to Roman Catholic, Christian, and then Orthodox views. Right. And so that the Catholic church, the church knows these answers. They know all about this, but they don't want to say they were wrong for so many years. And I think that's an interesting perspective. Could you imagine coming into the Popacy 
or the papacy, papacy, popacy, palpacy, however you want to say it, or the presidency or for any country and going, all right, champ, here's this book, read it. Um, Your mind's going to be blown. And you can't tell anyone. Right, right. You have to go to the grave after you read this book and we got to lock this thing back up. And if you ever say anything, we're going to Hillary Clinton you. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, Crazy. So um, in the Vatican, they have this huge basement that has all of these books and artifacts. And I mean, like so much. I, I was telling Adam the other day, I was making a joke that the only people richer than the Vatican is probably Disney. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Disney's about to take it on the chin. We can talk about that offline. I got some thoughts. Um, they might be but- going to Texas. <laughs> Um, but I really like, lo- I, I would love to be someone that could just go and sit in this archive because the shit you read, like, I bet there are things that you're like, what? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to go in like the presidential libraries or whatever, it, wherever this book is secrets. And, and, and I completely Isn't it in the national library. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what the national or library of Congress or whatever, whatever that movie was with Nicolas Cage, you know, that's what he'd have. National you treasure. But I fully believe that book exists. Like there's secrets that is kept in a book that these presidents and, and these higher ups get to see that nobody else knows that said, okay, well, this is how our our country really runs and, and, and how this really happened, you know? Oh yeah. I absolutely agree. I think there's, they have some information in there that they're getting each president gets for sure. Mm -hmm. So this is my favorite theory it's from the 21st century and it's that jesus was revived after an incomplete crucifixion so there's some thought that he actually didn't so i'm gonna reverse that apparently it takes a long time to die of crucifixion even if your hands are nailed to a cross your feet because your feet are nailed um the theory is that he died in six hours that's like that seems quite impossible obviously all things are possible with god who knows? But the theory goes on to say that actually Pontius Pilate was working with Jesus. And so even though he wasn't really dead, they were like, um, like saying he was dead. And then he was able to be kind of revived once he came off the cross. How you survive nails and stuff in you? Well, it wasn't only the nails. He was split on the side below the ribs. So he could bleed out and stuff like that. I I believe he was dead. I I honestly believe that, you know, because there was a lot. I mean, he he endured the torture, Mm -hmm. dragging the cross to the spot where he was crucified, to the hill. Um, You know, so he was beaten, rocks, you know, stoned and all that on the way there. Then he was crucified. So he was physically, emotionally, and and spiritually just done, just done when they nailed him on the cross. And then they, they, they split him under the ribs, you know, nailed him on the cross, let him bleed out, you know, had the head of the the crown of thorns. I, I, I mean, come on, there's only so much a human body can take. I believe six hours is probably a long time for him to sit up there and die. Right. This is, I, this, oh. this could explain his resurrection, though. You know, it could explain his resurrection is the whole fact that they did take him off and hit mm-hmm. him somewhere, got him back to health, and you know, brought him back out and said, "Here he is. He's back." Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, what about the shroud? I mean, 
so the shroud was used to cover him up from the from the hill. Yeah, he was sweating while he was taking a nap. Shit. I mean, he was bleeding. It wasn't like he wasn't bleeding. Right, right. No, I, I, I completely agreed that the blood was there. I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it would make sense for his resurrection. However, okay, yeah. then it, then is it, is his resurrection that powerful? As powerful it is as it is now, you know, like, okay, he died on the cross. They buried him in this, in this cave. He rose and came out of the cave on his own or, or, you know, by the power of God, his father, it, it okay. It, so they brought him down off the cross and he was still hanging on, you know, they started giving him mm-hmm. fluids and what have you and brought him back is, is his resurrection as strong as it was, you know, in the Bible. What well, changes the whole Christian faith? Oh, for sure. For sure. It, puts it a changed whole new all dynamic of it. On it. Absolutely. And that's, so there are some other really interesting, like theologic, um, conversations in regard to Easter, why Easter is when it is, why obviously why Christmas, we kind of all know why Christmas is when it is not really when Jesus was born. Um, he was actually born in like March or April. Um, but there's a lot of interesting, like connection to Roman God and Roman celebrations. And so there's some kind of thoughts about that. And yeah, I agree with you, Dave. I think if this was to be proven, if, the story that we're told was to be proven not true. It would completely change a ton of belief. And, and what would that do for power? Right. Well, Back I mean, what power. would that do for the Christian faith and, and what have you? And I yeah. mean, you know, it goes along with what we were talking about, the books of secrets, you know? Yeah. I believe yep. the palpacy has secrets, many, 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 many deep, 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 dark secrets. So, uh, you know, as does mm-hmm. every probably country and their leadership. Yeah. To what extent, you know, what extent is a palpacy hiding, you know, what, what secrets is a palpacy hiding to go, if this gets out, the Christian faith is, is completely blown, you know? Yeah. I, I, it's to the point where you're even wondering, like, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the show. There was, well, Da Vinci Code is a great example of this and, and, um, of the papacy trying to, to like eliminate people knowing about this. Right. Um, but I, I it does make you think like, are there people who are watching making sure that this is not being let out? Um, that these conspiracies are being shut down. Anyways, I'm going to finish this part. This is why I love this theory. Not only did Jesus, uh, survive his, uh, crucifixion. He did marry Mary Magdalene. She was already pregnant. They had a daughter named Tamar and then a son named Jesus, 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 uh, born in AD 41. That seems a little crazy. Cause AD 41 is like 41 years after he died. That's how we do AD BC. And that means he had been 76. So that seems a little crazy. Um, and then <laughs> I can't even do this with a straight face. And then Jesus divorced Mary Magdalene to wed a Jewish woman which I think is interesting. It says Jewish. Well, isn't, aren't they all Jewish? All right. Named Lydia. What? Yep. Yep. He married Lydia. Good old Lydia. And then Jesus and Lydia moved to Rome where he died. Wow. Of natural natural (laughs) causes. Right. Or Lydia killed him. 
Lydia mean, sounds like a name that well, would yeah, probably for sure. take the shroud and stick it over choke, his face. Choke him out with a shroud. <laughs> Tell <laughs> me one more that. time about how you drank and made body out of blood. One more time, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, God. Um, so this theory has been dismissed as uh, fantasy by church scholars. I don't know why. It seems quite legit to me. I mean, everyone leaves Mary Magdalene for a Lydia. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that uh, would bring yeah. in to divorce. Okay. So the Catholics do not believe in divorce. Yep. But now you're telling me that, that Christ himself walked away from his wife to marry somebody yeah. else. Uh, hang on. I don't know, boys. Very interesting, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, now, I will tell you, my resources have warned me, so I have to warn you that these are speculations, so they must be viewed with caution. There is no evidence that these beliefs are true, that Jesus and Mary Magdalene married, or that they found their way to France, or that there is an existing bloodline of Jesus Christ. But what do they know? Because they believe what they're told. <laughs> well, it's all about the Kool-Aid, baby. It's all about the Kool-Aid. So while the Catholic Church has worked to destroy this dynasty, they are protecting by the, the dynasty themselves are protected by these people called the Prior of Sion and their associates, which thus include the Templars and other secret societies. There is a book that argues this, but there is evidence that widely dismisses this as true. Um but it does have a vast influence on the conspiracy theory theorist. And it's also inspired, uh, inspired one of my favorite books and movies. Cause I love Tom Hanks, the Da Vinci code. Oh yes. And that my cousins is the Holy grail. Nice. Loving it. I know. Right. So many questions. Um, again, I think that this is just another example of, what are we told versus what is real? And we've kind of talked about that with aliens and other things, but well, I think if you're a Christian, this is really interesting to like kind of ask. Or if you've gone to a Christian college, I mean, it's kind of interesting to, you know, to listen mm -hmm. to the other side of it, because I mean, this would be something to bring up with professors at the, at, at yeah. the college, you know, okay, well, what do you think about this? You know, I think it could almost go down the line of um, don't come back to school anymore. <laughs> I mean, you bring a good point. Like I remember. And so for our listeners, David and I went to the same uh, college, which is a Catholic college. And um, I remember in like Catholic studies or Catholic history, one of those classes we had to take Dave, that um, I asked the priest who was our professor. <laughs> I was like, you, you cannot tell me that Jesus is the only child that Mary, the mother of God had like that is, does not seem possible. And knowing the historical context of that time. Right. Right. Or and he was like, or, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, no, like history does not tells me that does not seem. And the same with Jesus not being married. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, even the religion it professes, you know, be fruitful. You know, have yeah. children, you know, these are the fruit of thy womb, you know, do it, you know, have, have your kids. Um, yeah. So, I mean, back then, and, and like you said, back then it was, 
we need the kids to tend the farms, to run the sheep, to do, you know, to do all the stuff that is needed to do for a family to survive. The more hands, the better. And it, it makes me wonder what was happening. I guess this is maybe more research that I should do, but what was happening at the time that we were kind of creating or expanding upon this religion of Christianity that we were saying we can't identify Mary's other children or Mary shouldn't have other kids. Like why was that seen that? And, and the reason I've asked this and the reason that I've gotten is because her womb is holy and it was where Jesus was made. And I, I don't know. And then there's other people who argue that like, there is a, a part of, uh, the gospel of John, I think. And Jesus says to the other disciple who he loves, they call him that. And they assume that that's probably, this is your wife. This is your, or this is your mother. This is your son. And there is some speculation. Like, was that, and I think his name was Timothy. Was that his brother? You know, is that actually his real brother? And I mean, if you think about it, okay, we look at fame and fortune and, and, you know, you have a bunch of famous people. You, I, I don't know their brothers and sisters. Like, you know, you know, the one person who sticks out and, and above all else is God, you know, clearly, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I'm not going to know. Okay. So you have God. Well, his brother, Tim, who wasn't God, you know, yeah, her womb may be, a, may have been holy and, 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 you know, Jesus father put him there, but that doesn't mean that as soon as he came out, the womb came out and it was done. That was, uh, we hung that one up. Right. Those are done. And then if that is the case, I'm so sorry, Joseph. That had to be one hell of a sacrifice. The first monk, Joseph. Right, right. I mean, he, okay, so he, this is not his kid. You know, this is a, a, a holier being's kid. And then you don't get to have any other children with, with your wife. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. You have no kids of your own, and I'm assuming you don't try to procreate or have the sex with your wife because there's no birth control. Right. And then, so you know the conversation was had when Mary shows up pregnant and says, "Um, Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't done anything. However, and he goes. I'm 12, and this happened. You know what? I believe this this is a miracle. Uh, yeah, I can see Joseph going. You're you're good. This this is the son of God. This is this is you know right. No, no. There's and not thinking to himself. All right, nine months. All right, maybe ten. Right. She had the kid in a manger. Right, right, right. Well, but you know, it. T- but I ain't gonna put a baby in her. Right. Come on. Come on. I mean, what do I know? I understand, but these are just questions I have. I think it's fine to ask. Like, I don't honestly think they went from Israel to France. Well, I think a lot of our questions will be answered the day we see them. And, you know, yep. of course, that's, yeah. that's not going to be one of my first questions. Hey, so did you go to France and leave Mary and pick up a, you know, a Judith or whatever, Lydia. a Lydia, and then come back? I mean, come on, you know, tell me the truth. What, what, what broke it down? Break it down for me here, champ. And that's not going to be one of my questions. It's going to be, whew, I made it. Are you sure? I'm good. We're, we're good here. I got a house down the road, this Golden Street right down here. You know, that would probably be one of my first questions. And then, 
okay, where's my family? You know, where, where are these people that I haven't seen in, yeah. in quite a while? Right. I feel like that would be a question. I'd be like seven or eight months in, whatever months look like in heaven. And then I'd see him and I'd be like, oh, you know what? Right. JC. Right. I was I've thinking, been meaning to right. ask you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking. I have this question. Yeah. If you have time to get a coffee, a beer, whatever y'all drink up here in the good place. I was thinking. <laughs> oh, well, this has been fun. Yes, it has. Always has. Very I want to thank everyone for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And we'll uh, don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast of choice. Of course, Apple is the way to go. Um, it helps us the most, but any podcast platform of choice would help us. Um, please tell your friends, your family, anybody uh, you think you might like us. Um, give us a uh, listen. And I uh, hope to see you guys next week. Um, yeah. Yeah. Till the next We're week. excited. See you all later. Check out our website. Buy some t-shirts. And remember, the sun is of equal or smaller value than the earth. I want to thank everyone again for joining us on this week's episode of the Waters Run Deep podcast. Please join us next time as we discuss Hollow Earth. We delve deep into the myth, the legend, and the truth of what might be underneath our feet. Please check out our Instagram and also send us an email at the Waters Run Deep podcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas for topics or just want to say hi. Also, check out our merch store on our website as well as please remember to rate and review on your podcast platform of choice. And also tell your friends, family member, mailman about the podcast, share the wealth, get us out there. Thanks a lot. Until next time.